there, you're listening to the Niagara Moon Podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. I'm Niagara Moon. Uh, if you are not familiar with this podcast, if this is your first listen, this is uh, a pod I do primarily for my fans, for, uh, for the moon dogs out there. I often get together with my cohort, Dan Barracuda, another fine songwriter, and we talk about classic albums or sometimes contemporary albums. And uh, we enjoy just really musically nerding out. I think it's safe to say we have an awesome guest. Oh boy, for this week's episode, we got uh, Matt Longo from Queens, New York, aka Thin Lear. Oh my God, this guy is a fantastic baroque pop musician. I guess I guess you could kind of pigeonhole as as baroque pop. But that's how I uh, I discovered his music on Bandcamp. But just supremely elegant well-written songwriting with amazing arrangement. He's got real string players in there. Check out his new album, Wooden Cave. Uh, Matt was totally a pleasure to have on. Highly suggest you check out his music. Again, the album is Wooden Cave, as well as the album that we're talking about this week, which is Death of a Ladies' Man by Leonard Cohen. Uh, (laughs) If you've never really encountered this album before, but you're at least maybe aware of Leonard Cohen, uh, go check out that album and then, and then come back and, and hear us dig into it. I, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating, very bizarre entry in the Leonard Cohen catalog and just a weird kind of, uh, what would you call it, a memoriam of 70s rock in general. I had a really fun time talking about it this week with Matt and Dan, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. I first want to just give a quick shout out to the Niagara Moon Patreon bar. Uh, if you keep coming back in here, if you're a moon dog, you like what I'm doing, you like the music, you want to know maybe more about the music, you want extra music uh, that's exclusive to the, the top dogs only, the, the biggest fans, I would point you towards Niagara Moon Music on Patreon. Don't worry, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's so much going on there. I make secret playlists. I put up outtakes, B-sides, uh, demos. I mean, I'm, I'm only scratching the surface of, of what's there at this point, but you get the idea. Check it out if you're interested. Anyway, let's begin the show. I'm a fan of you guys. I was uh, I was doing a deep dive and listening yesterday at work to a bunch <laughs> of podcasts, it's just cracking me up. I heard any anything like even sort of related to the Beatles, just because yep. it's really easy for me to listen to that kind of stuff. Because I'm so familiar with that lore that like I almost have to listen to stuff like this because it's just a different. Right. <laughs> I can't listen to people talk about recording sessions uh, more. Yeah. I know too much, but my my favorite is still the um, the All Things Must Pass uh, episode. I thought that was that had a certain really, amount of enthusiasm. I guess it's just really funny. Yeah, not not dissimilar from this record. Yeah, in the fact that it, it is maybe uh, a monstrosity. Yeah, I was thinking some, that too. Some respects. All Things Must Pass didn't have a bunch of gunplay, though. No, <laughs> well, not not nearly enough. I don't think. <laughs> There's this really funny. Uh, there's an article in this this magazine called Tablet Magazine online. It has this really long uh, discussion of what happened in the recording sessions for this record, and uh, it was just so much worse than even <laughs> even the lore that I had already heard. Wow, because I thought the lore might be exaggerated. It doesn't seem like it. The story behind this album already is like just from like a surface dive into Wikipedia or something. It's it's pretty insane. I don't. <laughs> how much cocaine was involved? Was the first question I had. Digging a little bit more into this, everybody's got guns. They're drinking all night. Even the, the the writing of it, even the writing of it was completely insane. Like before they even got to the session, like Cohen and his wife apparently went to, or, or I guess they weren't they weren't married, but the the mother of his children, they they went to Specter's like weird uh, mansion, uh, and they had dinner, and then at one point. They wanted to leave, and Spectre kind of flipped out and was like, you can't leave. I'm still having a good time with <laughs> oh you. Oh, my God. Uh, which is a great way to continue an, an evening, yeah. I think. And, yeah, you're here against your uh, will now. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, enjoy the dessert. So they stayed for too long. And then for some reason, maybe he was a glutton for punishment. Leonard Cohen came back again to his house by himself this time and was like, let's just let's just hang out again. Just us. And they uh, it was so cold in the mansion that, that <laughs> 32 Cohen degrees. said he had to <laughs> he had to wear his coat the whole time. And then they wrote a bunch of songs. And, and apparently Cohen said that that was a really enjoyable experience and probably the last enjoyable experience that they had together. Mm. Oh, yeah, there's there's so much to, to dig into here. But yeah, like. Why was the air conditioning that strong in the house already raises like a novel's worth of questions to me. But um, I I did find that kind of to be at the core of their dynamic, probably like Cohen's comment about how when it was just him and Spectre and the writing together and it's kind of this more intimate setting, he sees and they're working on music. He he sees a guy that's, you know, could be a, a good collaborator and the more like, session musicians he brought in the mix the bigger the party he just like would go on yeah that he he was a different guy when other people were around um and and he said as as soon as their session started there were like a ton of hangers on there were the there's the entourage the bodyguards Mm -hmm. with the bulging guns and it's incredible it's just crazy that's crazy (laughs) what what did he do after this what did he do what did Phil, phil do after this album do you guys know uh didn't he produce the ramones a year later or something. Oh, that was that was a nightmare too. <laughs> I, I watched a Ramones interview on that, but I think that was later because I mean this is seventy seven, right? And yeah. the, that Ramones album was like in like eighty three or something. That was 82. that late, really? Wow. Yeah, I think I don't. Phil Spector's work by this point it was very sporadic. Like he worked with with Dion um, for an album that is I think has some beautiful moments, but like totally tanked and. Uh, he was very touch and go. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and, and the, the Ramones had the same response in the aftermath, which was their their press tour for the record was basically just ripping Spectre apart and saying how much they hated the record. Yeah. Oh yeah. I kind of like that Ramones album a little bit too, though. Like "Baby, I Love You," I like that cover. "Baby, I Love You." Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's it's similar to similar to this record in that like people hated it initially. And now people like us go back and say, well, actually, it was great. <laughs> it's a music nerd's delight, I think. Like, if, if, you get, if you start to get nerdy about 70s music, like I'm sure we all do, yeah. uh, and you, you like listen to it 30, 40 years after the fact, it's, it's just fun. You know, like you're just taken in a context of like, what is this odd? odd yeah, yeah and it's, it's because it's so, it, you know, we talk about rock nerds. It's, it's because it's so absent from the usual conversations of like rock history yeah. uh, that when you hear it for the first time, you, you really feel like even though it's two massive artists, you feel like you're discovering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's it's yours personally, like almost like they made it for you to judge. Like, what do you think about Leonard Cohen sounding like this? Oh, I kind of lost the end there. Did you, did, you, did you get that? No, I didn't get it. All right. Wait, where did I cut off here? Uh, say like the last two sentences. <laughs> I don't remember what I say. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's like they made the record for you personally, this this listener in the future, and you get to just judge for yourself. What do you think about Leonard Cohen sounding that way? Because like, there's no media trends or what. Like Leonard Cohen's name isn't in the papers as like a contemporary figure. You just get to go back and enjoy the music however you want to. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. And the, the mystique of the record being a, a disaster yeah. is also, you know, that, that's the part that I, when I was going back to listen, I, I kept asking myself, like, do I really love this record? I, I mean, I, feel, I came to the conclusion that I do, but mm. I, was, I was thinking, is it the mystique that's drawing me in, the fact that it's like a quote-unquote lost classic, that it was a disaster, that it was critically panned, made under duress, and hated by Cohen himself, like all of those things, is it factoring into my love of it because I'm just like a contrarian? Or do, do yeah, I really love yeah. this, this music? I feel so bad for him about the vocals. Like when I read that, <laughs> the vocals weren't even, like they, they were just like demo vocals. For, for, and I have a retort to that in a moment. What? But, oh yeah. man, jeez! And and then he felt like he felt like he couldn't approach Phil about it. He was like kind of holding it hostage. Yeah. So Phil Spector stole the tapes at some point during the the recording process, and was just like, no. I mean, he, they're both control freaks, probably to varying degrees. But Phil Spector's like, no, 
I have control over the rest of what happens here. F off. Like I'm, I'm taking the reins. I I'm calling the shots. Uh, and then Cohen just had to back off and was intimidated. Um, which is not a cool thing to do. Like <laughs> Phil Spector, I, I would personally never want to work with the guy. He's a nightmare, yeah, but yeah. I think it helps this record in a, just a kind of roundabout genius way. I, I think it was the right move in terms of the end result. I, I agree with you. Um, it sounds beautiful. It does. It really does. I'll give you, there's a, there's a really clear example of it. it maybe it, it's not an actual choice and it was just Spectre being nuts, but it, but it really works is the backing vocals, the female backing vocals on this record I wrote are that so loud. They're like, and they're com- <laughs> I love it. They're competing. They're, they're beautiful. beautiful. They're competing melodies. But if you listen to like the earlier, yeah. like perfect Cohen folk records before this, the female, the female uh, backing vocals, which he used a lot, were yeah. there to kind of just smooth out the edges of his voice, and they were very haunting yeah. and ethereal. It was it was a real backdrop. But here, yeah. there, it's a single <laughs> voice. It's always a single woman's voice, and it's like, where are you now, my finger? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it though. It's a party. It is, and I think it. I think it speaks to. I don't know if Spectre was trying to do this, but it, it speaks to the vibe of the record, which is a you know horrifying end of relationship record. <laughs> uh, it, it does make conceptual sense to have the 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 partner's vocals like doing a competing melody and and overshadowing him. It, does he use a specific? Is the same woman like across his albums, or he uses different people? And there's no one particular. I don't question. Know. I don't. I know for the earlier records, he he used the same people, but I, for this one, I there were so many musicians that played on it. I I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so this record is seventy seven. When was Suzanne released? Oh, that was like sixty seven. That was his first album. Okay. And Hallelujah is like eighty. Or Hallelujah is eighty something, like mid eighties. Okay. Yeah. I so go, going back to Leonard's vocals. I'm going to call him Leonard here. Sure. Uh, you would never get a vocal performance like that on Memories if you didn't have somebody outside Cohen's brain just like come in and nope, that's that's what we're doing. You you got something here. Like I don't think he would have he wouldn't have let it out himself, but like just the hilarious absurdity of of Cohen with his persona and his voice, like just going, her naked body. <laughs> like at the oh, end. My, okay, so I, I took notes when listening to this album. I took notes, and uh, for memories, I was like, he's singing a lot like Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. He's like, he really singing in the style of Dylan. He just sounds like Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> he that song in particular, he's he sounds like a. It's like a. He's going for like a rock thing. Uh, he's he's just really going for it. Uh, especially as this song, <laughs> this song is fading out, and he starts singing that. I forget the name of the song, but he's he's singing a um, like a doo-wop song. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and he's 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 putting the, the that chorus at the end of the track, and he's just screaming. Yeah, and it's uh, like it's it's actually really refreshing because you just never hear that on a on a Cohen record. Yep, it's nice to hear that upper register with him. Whoa, he's going. He got out of his own head. This this whole. Um, doesn't it feel like I mean when when this the first track opens so True Love leaves no traces right it starts with these really sleazy horns yeah. and flutes that are very loud I love the flutes in the mix and I I love them too if you read any review of the record they just talk about how crappy what? the horns and the flutes really? are but like it it's I think it's beautiful and it adds to this like uh, 3 a.m. at an airport yeah. lounge vibe yeah yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, the the flute melody reminded me a lot of Vincent by Don McLean. You know Don McLean's mm. Vincent. I know that da, da, song. Da, 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 oh, yeah. oh yeah, I hear oh, it now. Yeah, right. Yeah, that song like really uses that melody. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought I, I I got it right away. I was like, that's Vincent because I've heard other songs use that, and that's I don't know. Really, I really heard it. Wow. I'm not going to be able to hear that the same way again. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly that's exactly the melody. Yeah. Speaking of uh, drawing comparisons between melodies, I'd forgotten. Um, I don't know, Matt, if you're a uh, Father John Misty fan, but boy, Fingerprints sure gets close to uh, a Father oh, John Misty yeah. song. I think it's like called Teepees Number One and Two or something like that. So I had a, a I actually had a, a conversation with. Father John Misty about this, Josh Tillman. What? Uh, I so I met him. This was like 
2014 or 2015, whenever um, Honey Bear? I Love You Honey Bear 2015, came out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he was doing this uh, promotional thing at like an Urban Outfitters in Brooklyn. Um, wow. And he had like a tent set up in the middle of the store. Uh, <laughs> and you could just go in and talk to him. Uh, so me and my buddy went and went in and just started talking to him about this record. Because, I, I mean, I, I had the feeling he liked it because he has that song, Only Son of a Ladies' Man. Yep. And then the opening line talks about, you know, when I heard the, the, the ladies' man was dead, you know, he's just referring to this record. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about how amazing uh, this record is and how I Love You, Honey Bear is kind of the antithesis of this wow. record. Because this record, Death of a Ladies' Man, comes to the conclusion that love is just like this celestial dance and then it's over and it's almost like it never happened. Yeah. And then... Ought to go for with, nothing with, if you're going to go that far. Exactly. Wow. And then I Love You, Honey Bear is the opposite, like where he finds transcendence in the relationship, uh, even even as he's raging against that. Uh, so he, he definitely is a fan of this record. And that whole ironic lounge singer smaltz thing like the knowing wink yeah. of like yeah this is a sleazy arrangement but i'm yeah. doing it i'm doing it this way uh you can find a touch point for a lot of those modern artists that do that in this record yeah. wow wow yeah so now i can really see and now i can see how honey bear is super inspired like even sonically too just that specter room sound i don't think any is anything close mic'd in specter production <laughs> i don't think it is <laughs> He didn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, if we're just going to touch on the production for a second here, God dang, I love Hal Blaine and mm. whatever Spectre does to make Hal Blaine sound like Hal Blaine because the, the drums, especially on the title track at the end, like I just love that sound. It's so a bedrock of a foundation for like all the other stuff that goes on in a song and just like oddly kind of like stripped down in a way too. Just the like the thud of the snare is just very. It's, yeah, it's just, man. Where was it recorded? A few different studios in LA, right? Like Gold Star Studios, and I mean, Spectre just kind of had the keys to the city. So it just sounds like it just all happens in one big room. Yeah, it's hard to. It, you, we'll probably never get a record that sounds like this again. Like that, the '70s is such a great period. Because you had all these people making these uh, some perfectly beautiful albums, but then other records like this that are kind of a mess, but still amazing production wise, because there was all this money going around. So you could throw a bunch yeah, of money, money. At, at, a, at a project that you weren't sure was going to succeed. Uh, and I just don't think we'll hear this kind of sonics again. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think you have a lot of art, artists. I mean, Father John, especially Father John Misty, especially who hear the like opulence of this kind of sound and they're like well yeah you, you know the money's not going around but i can approximate this you know if you get the right tools and the right um people involved yeah i think you can come close uh father john misty being like the first obvious example for me it's it's not mm -hmm. unheard of but i don't think you can do it without a lot of digital trickery right maybe right. yeah you can't just like rent out a theater so easily necessarily. <laughs> the slapback on the in iodine, like he, iodine I mean, slapback, yeah. The slapback. Like, what kind of snare sound is that? Oh my god! It's just it's it's gorgeous. It's almost like the kind of snare that like Eno and Bowie were getting on low, which is obviously a completely mm. different kind of music. But that where this this the slapback of the snare like hits you like a second snare. There's so much snap slapback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like how brazenly weird can we make a snare sound and it still fits? Like it almost that snare sound almost feels like a parody <laughs> of the idea of like Phil Spector's production style. He's like, see, I'm doing my echo thing. Mm -hmm. Like it really just takes it to the the border. Wow. And then when he says iodine for the first time, the sax enters. The sax is awesome, but it sounds like far away. Like it sounds far away, right? Yeah. Like where Murky. is? Yeah, it's like only room where mics are like picking it up or something. It's crazy. Yeah. I would point people to this song. Like if if they said uh, if they weren't sure about delving into the record, I would say listen to iodine first because I feel like mm. that like uh, nightmare doo up sound 
that like his character that, that, that this record is characterized by. Yeah, this is this is where they get it. Just it's just perfect. This this and memories, I uh, uh, I think, are the ones that they. Um, it's sort of like unimpeachable these tracks. Like I love the others, but I don't see how you could dislike these these two songs. Yeah. yeah. No, I second that totally. Yeah. And he performed Memories live. Like that was one of the few songs he kept in his uh, repertoire. Uh, you know. That's right. I did read that. Shadow I read that. Record. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a better line than "You let me love you till I was a failure"? Like, oh my God! <laughs> Till I was a failure. Oh God! His his, you, you know, you you brought up something before about the way he he pronounces the word iodine. His pronunciation on this record is different. Iodine. Yeah, it, and it doesn't make any sense. It's not so Canadian. <laughs> I don't think. Sure, perhaps not. <laughs> to live in a house that is haunted. <laughs> He says the word "darling" on the in this song when he says, uh, "Don't worry, darling," and he like drags it out, and it's yeah. just like I don't know what it is about it, but it just brings a tear to my eye. Like I want to, I want to stand up and clap when I hear him say it, "darling." Yeah. I wonder like how different the vocals would have sounded if he actually did them for real. <laughs> like, I don't think they'd be as good, or no? he he would have psyched himself out or something. I mean, how do you beat just the like? Primal scream therapy of like memories. Of How memories, are you going to top yeah. that? You know, it's it's not like Leonard Cohen usually sings in tune, and right. we expect that of him. He's a terrible singer, like on paper. <laughs> yeah. It's not about the singing. It's about the feeling and the, the message. Feeling and, and the message. Yeah. The the ineffable with him. I mean, probably one of the reasons he was belting is because he was in a room with like seventy musicians. And he could barely he could barely hear right. himself. Yeah. So you know it's probably a, almost a function yeah. of the the session itself, and that's I the environment yeah. and why he was like afterwards. Oh, that was crap. I'm gonna have to do all that again. I mean, I I, uh, I forget which reviewer at the time described this as I'm paraphrasing here, but you have just the extroverted mm-hmm. wildness of Spectre right. and his approach, and then just the insular like introvert Cohen, and it's just this total. <laughs> Like two yeah. worlds colliding. Like Cohen should never really sound this wild or this open. Like he usually never like permits that of himself. Mm. I, I actually I wrote down a note for myself that's very similar to that. I said he always sounds very in control on his records. Like you know the yeah. uh, like the magic is unspooling. Like on Suzanne, like there's just it's just so it's tight. Uh, it's a beautiful, but like he's in control of the magic. On this record, he is not no. in control. Like he sounds he's on frantic. The Phil's in control. Yeah, Phil is Except in control. Phil, Phil is out of control. <laughs> Phil's out of control. He's out of in control. Yeah, <laughs> he's in and out of control. <laughs> wow. I mean, Suzanne's my favorite song by by Leonard. I, I freaking love that song. Yeah, I, I was playing that for um, my wife the other night and. You know, I, I, I play her. She's heard Cohen a lot, obviously in the house, but uh, she had never heard that song for whatever reason. I just I hadn't played that for her, which is maybe criminal. But I, I put it on. She didn't know who it was, and she was just like, "What is this?" What it, is it this? wasn't. Who is, what this? is this? What song is this? It was. What is this? It's just yeah. you know. It sounds like yeah. pure magic. Sounds like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> so, how long have you been a Leonard Cohen fan, Matt? Did you grow up with him? playing in the house a lot or did you kind of discover him later in your your musical journey i i found him later on it was you know through the the typical folk journey uh you know you find dylan and then you're like all right well what else is going on yeah. at that time and then you know found found uh, him and, and karen dalton and yeah. a, a bunch of other people uh but with with him he i come back to him so often he might be my favorite uh. songwriter like it, it's it's uh it's hard to get away from him, and I think his music is just like uh, for a songwriter, it's just humbling yeah. because it's just such care in the craft, and that even when I don't like a song of his, like yeah. I still respect yeah. it. Like you, you still respect the craft of it. It's just um, it's sort of uncanny. I mean, he's like top lyricist of, oh, of yeah. our time. Top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a thing with Leonard Cohen. Like I, I discovered him in my in my college years. I would definitely describe myself as a fan. Um, I think I can rarely listen to his music outside of winter. Like I think it's got to be 
really bad weather outside, and then I, I get in the Cohen mood. Wow. Or if you're just super depressed. What was his like personal life like? I don't know much about Leonard. He was older than anybody else doing this kind of thing back in the 60s and 70s. Like on this record, what is he, 43? Yeah, he's, he's in his 40s. He's yeah. definitely, yeah. Wow. And he didn't start, I think, write, uh, making records until his uh, early 30s, around that time. Yeah, he like was a writer. Yeah. A poet first, yeah. He was a poet first. I mean, he, and he remained wow. a poet too, but like music was like another side of his artistic endeavors that didn't like show up until like the mid sixties from, he wrote, did he write books? He wrote, he wrote books, books. Yeah. Like novels. Yeah. And he, um, I think he also became a monk, uh, later in later life. On, yeah. Uh, which is wow, just interesting. It's, it's, he just is not, there's nothing about him. That's like a typical rock dude from the 70s like even the excess like you can hear on this record the way that he looks at excess is like it's not um there's nothing transcendent about it um it's it's all uh, just like it hollows him out and it's almost like this record is the sound of him bottoming out uh and then he, he pivots musically and spiritually after this record yeah like a total 180 yeah kind of like st- started and stopped here as far as like production and like songwriting, like he he makes it the big whole thing. ethos. He goes back to really stripped down sound and okay. kind of shuts the door again, so to speak. Like he's he's very he resumes control after this. I'd say, and then he finds those synthesizers. Oh God! <laughs> now so thinking, we take Berlin. <laughs> this album didn't do well. This album tanks. I mean, Cohen in general was not very commercially viable in the United States. Like, I think there was some exchange at one point with him and a, some executive and he's, he's Cohen's trying to angle for, for more like commercial, um, commercial pushing, like help with promotion. And they're like, yeah, Leonard, we know you're great. We just don't know if you're any good. (laughs) He's a hard sell to a 1970s American audience. Europe liked him a lot more. He was, he was always received better overseas. Hmm. Do you, so do you, I guess I have a couple questions for you guys. Yeah. One is, um, is this, a, does this sound like a midlife crisis album? Uh, Dan, you want to take that first? Um, I don't know. So to be honest, I know it's kind of a crime with amazing lyricists like Leonard, but I don't listen to lyrics for until like the <laughs> later on in the listens. And I heard this album like three times. And I was okay. like taking notes while I take it. So like I'm not like when I hear music, I'm not following the words. Yeah, you you listen. You kind of listen to the sound, down, like, the, the sound of the voice yeah. and the instruments and the production and like yeah. the mixing of it and the you know for me it's not the words. So I don't know much about what's going on lyrically. Well, I I got a uh, I got insight a little bit for you, <laughs> um, Matt. I think Leonard Cohen's colon. Did I just call him Leonard Cohen? Leonard Cohen. <laughs> Leonard Cole. <laughs> I didn't sleep the best last night, guys. Um, so, Give us the colonoscopy, huh? All right, I'm going to give you the colonoscopy here. So I think Cohen, as far as I can make out, seeing footage of him, hearing him talk, like his whole life was a crisis. This guy was always tortured by exactly what, I don't know, but just his mind uh, had a lot of darkness in it. And he, I think he did the best he could. So I don't think this is like a midlife crisis. This is just Cohen happening to be middle-aged. But the crisis, you know, it never started or stopped maybe until he became a monk or something. So I don't hear it as... Unless, la, 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 last, that last sentence. Ah, shit. Uh, so it's good now. I don't think the crisis ever started or stopped anywhere around this time. Like it was just ongoing and he, he happened to be in his 40s. Uh, so I don't hear that the same way I might look for that in like Paul Simon's Graceland, mm-hmm. where he's talking about divorce and, and kind of being in a weird place existentially. I I just I hear the ongoing saga of Cohen and his torments myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. But do you do you pick up something differently there? Um, no, I don't disagree with with your with your assessment. I mean, I, it did seem like he was always uh, teetering on the brink. And I think this record just happened to be about the breakup of a, uh, I mean, it, he wasn't married, but it was, you know, sort sort of his, his yeah. basically a marriage. Um, and it just happened to be about relationships. What I, what I really like about this record lyrically is that 
he calls it death of a ladies man. And you think there's going to be some like a self aggrandizement or, or whatever and calling himself a ladies man. But it's yeah. really, it's, it's, uh, there's like a wink there because he always is painting himself as, as pathetic in these songs. Like there's nothing yeah. <laughs> there's, and, and, and when, when there is sex on the record, it's always like, it just seems so solitary. It's like two people alone, alone together. <laughs> And I mean, one of the songs kind of just seems like it's dedicated to uh, going to a brothel when you're on the road. <laughs> like he's not uh, he's not really selling himself so much. He's just he's just uh, laying it all bare. Matt, what's your what's your favorite Leonard album? It depends on my mood. I mean, there was a time when this was my favorite uh album from him i i first heard this record i was coming out of a a relationship and it wasn't like a particularly rough ending it sort of concluded naturally so i wasn't in like a state of desperation but i definitely was aimless and and it was a transitional time for me and i heard this record and it clicked with me and then i actually i bought the vinyl uh in a shop in in the village i found it and uh i was just listening to it nonstop. so I think it's sort of unfair. Like I know why this is not other people's favorites of his, but it's just it's just connected with me at the perfect time. If I was cl- if I'm clear headed, I would say my favorite is probably Songs of Love and Hate. Um, I was going to uh, say that this record, one, yeah. you know, is, is right there for me. Songs of Love and Hate is yeah that that's like the other one that I would be very keen to yeah. to dive into. Just Songs thinking off the top of my head. I mean, even that album, which is so, like, like a lot of his other albums, it's so intentional and kind of stripped down and uh, very methodical. I mean, he goes kind of nuts on, uh, what is it, No <laughs> yeah, More Diamonds he does, in the he, Mind? He belts, he belts a little mind. bit on that one. Yeah. Wow, the songs are all long. They're all, like, averaging five, six minutes. Yeah, yeah no, he, 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 sets, he sets a mood. He sets a tone on that album. I, think the, I mean, Avalanche is one of the best... Uh, sonic representations oh, yeah. of depression. Uh, wow, maybe the best. Holy oh my cow. god! Yeah, yeah. That there's such a unique quality to that song. Just like wow, I can't wait to check such it. Such a looming darkness on that one. Yeah, Dan, check out uh, "Songs of Love and Hate." Put that next on your list. Oh god, yeah, yeah. This because this album is like his least depressed sounding somehow, even though he might've been for all we know, in like one of the darkest periods of his yeah. life. Yeah. And it's, it's that it's the doo-wop sensibility. I was reading one reviewer was talking about how this is like the logical conclusion of where doo-wop was headed because like you had Spectre making the, the really fun doo-wop records that were, you know, for teenagers. And it was like, oh, yeah, my heart. Innocent. Yeah, it's innocent. My heart is broken, but there's ultimately something fun about it. Yeah. Uh, like there's, there's, there's romance involved. There's hope that it's going to get better. Uh, this is not fun. Like this is th- those people middle-aged now realizing, okay, maybe this heartbreak is not this uh, um, transient thing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, th- maybe it's permanent in our lives. Uh, so it, yeah. it's a really interesting review that was written about it. And like, this is really ugly middle-aged doo-wop. Wow. I mean, the me- memories has that classic, the doo-wop chord progression. The, the, uh... that, that, that song is just him revisiting like his youth in the fifties at his dismal, yeah. uh, experience at high school, trying to get laid and just totally being in his own head and, and failing miserably. That's just... I, that seems to be one of the more clear-cut uh, tracks on the album, for sure. You know what Leonard's song I do love is the You Want It Darker. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh. I remember a guitar student of mine showed me that song like a year ago. Jesus, <laughs> man. That was like, his voice in that song, it's like it's incredible. It, there's, there's, there's something, uh, the way his voice ages, like it's almost um, uh, like a violation when you listen to it. You know, if you have headphones on, it's just yeah. like so upfront and in your it's ear. So upfront, uh, especially on that song. Uh, it, yeah, we sort of lucked out in that. I mean, it was horrible for him that he got robbed by his. I think it was his manager um, later in life and was a- almost bankrupt to the point where he had to start recording and and touring again. Uh, 
and then wow. it seemed like it, it, it was uh, uh, he got like rejuvenated creatively because then he started cranking out records like every couple of years and they're they're all pretty excellent cool oh yeah, like in the 90s yeah, even, and later 2000s into the 2000s yeah so don't go home with your heart on it's like <laughs> that the music of that is very unlike leonard don't go home with your heart on might be my least favorite song on the album just because it feels just so much removed from what i'd expect or want really from a cohen album like it's they're just all getting drunk i wrote that i just, feel like i'm expecting like paul simon to start singing or something <laughs> oh he wouldn't be caught dead in that recording studio he, he, he takes care of himself this song is like it's like disco yeah, disco. Is, is it? It's like disco, and then the verses are like a uh, like a nightmare bar mitzvah music. Like it's just very. <laughs> it's an odd combination. I did appreciate the bass playing in that song, though. Like the sending octaves, like doom ding doom ding doom ding doom. Yeah, no, it keeps a good rhythm yeah. section at least. It's a beautiful mess. I I I like that song. I I know that it's uh, kind of a throwaway, yeah. uh, but I still feel like. Uh, like I was, I was telling Thomas earlier, like if Bob Seger sang this song, it probably would have been a hit. Like it was just, you know, it's yeah. not, a, it's not a Leonard Cohen song. It's it doesn't sound tune. like him. Yeah. 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 And God, you got Bob Dylan wailing out. You can't melt it down in the rain. <laughs> like that part is just so, uh, it's got color to it. Bob Dylan. So speaking of, of comparisons, I mean, I, I think, I left a woman waiting is the most interesting song uh, on the record. I left a woman waiting. <laughs> His cadence is so bizarre. His vocals are so loud on this yeah, track. Yeah, the most upfront. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it sounds to me like a Serge Gainsbourg song. Oh, good call. Yeah, you know, like it's just like sort of real sultry, kind of sleazy. It's it's very flourishing. It, it blossoms in the arrangement. What happened to your beauty happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> is there a harsher burn than that? Uh, but that's like the classic Leonard, right? The spoken, the spoken word in the verses. That's more, yeah. you're absolutely right. That's what, if, if I think if he had complete control, that's what this record could have sounded like. Like more, he's not gutting it out. He doesn't sound frantic on that song. It's very measured. Yeah. He sounds a little more sober. <laughs> Slightly. And Cohen has such a way with words and yeah. depicting situations and both like a surreal but like hyper-realized way. Like, you know, a lot of that is he's just trying to create some lore for the release of this album. But undoubtedly, like uh, Matt, how you were saying, like just right off the bat, Spectre's trying to keep him there against their will. Like there was such antics, I bet. But I guess the question is, what was it about Cohen, though? that drew him to that chaotic situation. Like he must yeah, have known. Stay? Right. Why did he yeah. stay? And it had been three years since his last album. Like what was he hoping to do or what did he think his next move was going to be that whole time? And, you know, I think somebody locks you in their house before you start a, a business partnership. It's probably not a good start to that relationship. I'd imagine. Did he really pull a gun on Leonard? Did he really like to his, up to his neck? Yeah, what was the whole story where he has like a, I read this somewhere. He, Spectre's holding a gun in one hand and like a bottle of Manischewitz wine in the other, you know, hugging Cohen saying, I love, I love you. you. And Leonard's like, I hope you do, Phil. <laughs> like, what yeah, the, what's going on here? It's very similar, very similar to that John Lennon story of him firing off a gun in the rock and roll sessions right. and, and Lennon being like, please don't mess with my ears. Like, <laughs> if you're going to shoot me, yeah, shoot yeah. me, but I, I need my ears. man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not when you hear these stories, it's not at all surprising to. Uh, think of of these as as uh, trial runs for his eventual murderous yeah. behavior. I mean, just uh, yeah. I, I was kind of speculating on that in our All Things Must Pass episode about you know, especially after the super traumatic uh, car crash and like just head injuries that mm -hmm. that Spectre suffered. Like, just how much clinically was he off the rails even by this point and. Who knows what the hell he got away with before cameras, yeah. you know, oh, when the God. mob was still running things in the yeah. 70s and 80s. What, you know, I bet there's, I, I, I don't even want to think about it. I bet it goes deep. Like, thank God we eventually caught up with him. Most definitely. 
Um, I guess uh, maybe just let's talk about the, the the title track a little bit. I mean, it sounds like that resonated yeah. with you. All right. I got to say something about this song. Um, just musically, it sounds so much like Eclipse, <laughs> the end of Dark Side. Sure. Those first two chords are identical and the melody flow. Sure. Huh. I wouldn't have thought that. The first two chords are the same. They're both so talking about was, the moon. They're both talking <laughs> about the moon. And so that, yeah, like the, the dark side, of, yeah. So it sounded like it closed from dark side of the moon. And the core, the piano part. I love the piano part. Ma- it's, it's, it's this, I don't know why my ears like this, but I'm, I'm literally hearing Maxwell must go free. <laughs> I, I kept hearing that. Dun, dun, dun. Now I'm going to think yeah, of that, man, dude. You're, you're, you're ruining you're it. Dude, I get this right away. <laughs> um, I think that the title track might be my favorite. Me too. Me too. It's majestic it is it is majestic it. it's sort of for starters the intro it, it some 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 songs have intros where it, like they could go in a million different directions like i um that john kale song oh, yeah. big white cloud uh this song oh yeah it's just it's very, very uh, uh, ephemeral and uh yeah Slow. and and i just you know i fall in love with it there the backing vocals sound like people in hell uh like howling from hell oh my god yeah <laughs> especially <laughs> uh, this song it, it, like it, it it will hypnotize you if you let it uh, it's definitely it's it's a yeah. challenging song because it's what like nine and a half minutes they fly by for <laughs> me I I don't mind it at all personally it's no chorus it's so epic. epic it's so no chorus yeah it's so epic grandiose and that last the last stanza of the record where it starts you know the great affair is over you know it goes through that whole thing of like the love was the celestial visit, and now I don't feel any different. We didn't change each other at all. There's no marks on us. Uh, is yeah. just devastating. Uh, wow. <laughs> it's a heavy, heavy uh, verse. And then the way it sort of comes back, like there's like two false endings almost. Yeah. It's like, oh, is he going to sing more? Oh, yeah, he's going to do it one more time. Take it over the top with the like weird string sense in the background. Yeah, it's it's a perfect conclusion to a really weird record. Uh, and definitely, yeah. you know, none of these lyrics you should you shouldn't be putting any of them on like an eHarmony account because I don't think you would do well. <laughs> <laughs> is uh does Leonard play any instruments with piano? Does he, you know, does he do any of the arranging at all or is it is that all Phil? Like he's deciding whatever On this record it doesn't and... sound like he did any. I think on his earlier records yeah. he he was heavily involved in the in the mixing process and I think was really like um really pushed his producers to get a certain kind of sound. This it sounds like he was Yeah. Yeah, I tip I think of Leonard Cohen typically as Oh yeah, my voice, the acoustic guitar. If you're lucky, my Jews harp. That's all we're doing. Like, <laughs> go and then just. It's so like you're in a room with him. I mean, he literally called his second album "Songs from mm-hmm. a Room." Like he wanted it as, like, devoid of of pomp and circumstance at, as possible at that time. Yeah, I mean, you got you guys are you know you, we're, wow. we're all musicians. He he said uh, his son said at one point that they tried to lower his vocal on a song by like a dB, and he walked out. And he came back in. He was like, "Hey, can you raise that at DB?" Wow! Uh, so, like, that's pretty, uh, pretty sharp ears. He knew what, what he, he wanted yeah. uh, for for a bunch of his albums, at least. You want it darker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Wow! Oh, I can't wait to check out this. Well, songs of love and hate. I'm gonna check that one out. Yeah, first. you should. He looks like a young guy in that cover. Oh, but the cover—we gotta talk about the cover of *Death of the Ladies Man*. Oh yeah, good point. It's uh, it's a photo choice. I like how he. I, I, Sorry, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, like, on, in Wikipedia, it says that it's like strangely familiar to Art Garfunkel's mm. cover. It said that in Wikipedia, and I, and I checked it out, and it is pretty similar. It's like two women by his side at a, at a dinner table, and like a, a kind of similar photo quality. One of them <laughs> is his wife, or his his the mother of his children. Uh, Su- Suzanne Elrod. Oh, okay. But I think it's hilarious that he looks like pumped, and they both look like not excited to be there. Does yeah, he look yeah. pumped to you? I he's kind of got like a Mona Lisa smile going. Oh, maybe. Like I, I don't know what story he's trying to tell me in this photo, but I I think it's conflicted. Whatever. Sure. It is. Yeah. I guess he has like a wry a wry kind of uh, smile, but definitely yeah. on on either side of him, they look like disinterested or something or, and i think it just speaks to the whole yeah, the whole record of him yeah. being like you know like a pathetic ladies man 
So he's older in that. I want to know how old he was. What year was he born? I I did the the math this morning. He was 43. Ah, 42 or 43, yeah. So it's it's weird. That's he's it's weird. You have a guy this old in this era making music in this way. Like, I mean, he's kind of without peers almost. Yeah. Everybody was much younger than him. I mean, he came to it so late to begin with. I mean, even on the first record, he was he was uh, past the point where a lot of artists at that time, especially because people seemed like they started younger then and, and peaked younger. Um, that yeah they were mostly done and he was like i think 32 or 33 and just coming out with his first record man this is this is a great call i love i love talking about this one i'm yeah but there's so much behind it and uh like you were saying matt like you were listening to it like incessantly this week i mean it, it always rewards a repeat listen i think mm-hmm. too once you get into it mm-hmm. i think if you're you know if you're if you're 20 and you're trying to figure stuff out that this is a good record to listen to. I think most Cohen records are good to listen to when you're in your early twenties and trying to figure stuff out. Um, this one in particular, because it is, uh, not just sonically unique, but like the viewpoint is, is, uh, unique and it's such a devastating relationship record. It's so real that I, I feel like, um, when I heard it, I had to like catch up to the experiences on the record in the sense that like, I wasn't mature enough to know some of these emotions. Right. Uh, you had the feeling they were yeah, coming. Like, well, think about when you heard another. Suzanne. Yeah. I heard Suzanne when I was like 16 or something like, uh, you know, like I, I, I knew that there were emotions there for me to have, but I, I didn't, there was, there was nothing, no experience I could equate them with yet. Right. Right. Yeah. I discovered Suzanne later in life, like 23 mm-hmm. or something. I have a very, I guess I didn't share it earlier. I have a very clear memory of, of getting into this album initially. I was 20. So Good call, Matt. Uh, there was like, I, so I was living in Japan at the time. I was studying abroad in, in Kyoto. I lived there for a couple of years, but like one particular winter, I was like uh, working at like a, a music venue dive bar too. So I was staying up late a lot. I associate this album with like, uh, maybe it was, it was February. It was the first and last time I ever bought cigarettes. I got oh, these God. like really flavored, tasty, like, I don't know if they were clove or some sort of spiced cigarettes from like Indonesia. They came in like a tin can and I would just have like one a night and like a little whiskey on the rocks and, uh, and play nice. this album. Just getting into the, that sounds great. the heady zone. Yeah. So that's, that's where it kind of always sits for that's me. That's the way to do it. I mean, all, all of his records are solitary records. Like I don't think you'd put them on like at a party. And expect, <laughs> I would actually at that same bar. I more than once put Avalanche on because they had the a jukebox. CD. They had a CD copy of uh, Songs of Love and Hate. I would put Avalanche on if it was like really late, and it just seemed like we weren't going to get any more, uh, any more drink money or whatever anymore. I put this on and just kind of clear the room out. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic! Like, all right, we're we're done here, guys. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to that song I right think after. This. I think you're gonna love it. From a production standpoint, it's like um, just overwhelming, amazing, yeah. immaculate. Wow. Yeah. Not to wow. hype it too much. All right. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it's worth the hype. Um, yeah, this was this is a fascinating discussion. Um, I don't think we really do ratings so much anymore on this podcast, or at least I kind of feel weird about it at this point. But I'm gonna call this. Uh, a weirdo classic. I love it. A weirdo classic. It's a really a beautiful mess. A beautiful, beautiful mess. mess. What you said earlier, Matt. I like that. I like that. A beautiful mess. Um, now, your your own music, Matt, as Thin Lear, is not messy at all. I was uh, admiring actually how beautifully orchestrated and put together it is. Truly, just mm, tasty baroque pop. Thank you. Uh, I highly recommend people check out Thin Lear as well. But uh, yeah. We're doing uh, plugs. How do you how do you suggest people check you out? Oh, Thin Lear is on Spotify. Uh, came out with a record called Wooden Cave uh, in July of Great last record. year. Uh, people liked it, uh, which was new for me. Uh, so that <laughs> that was exciting. And I, and I yeah, you can get it on vinyl uh, through Egg Hunt Records. Uh, and I think we only have uh, like twenty copies left. So if you want it, 
Uh, you should you should wow. you should check it out. But you can hear us on wow. Bandcamp and, and Spotify and uh, all those places. Yeah, it's a great That's album. Awesome, beautifully beautifully produced. I, I have really that queued up it. right now on Spotify. What what what's like one of your favorites of yours? Well, if we're talking about Leonard Cohen, I would say to listen to the opening track uh, Netta, which cool. is like a, very much a story song, uh, uh, similar to. Uh, not dissimilar to what he does, where it sort of just unspools. There's no real chorus. You know, it, it's it's the melody keeps building, the arrangement keeps building, and and hopefully, I came within a football field's length of of what he he was able cool. to do. Yeah, I I particularly liked uh, Maniacs. Just had a great energy to it. It really sounded sure. like a new Bell and Sebastian track for me. But yeah, with other with other influences in there too. But yeah, mm. great stuff. So somebody else said that to me. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I like the artwork too. Yeah. No, it's it's the whole package. Um, <laughs> this has been great, guys. I had a ton of fun. Can't yeah. wait to get this episode out there. And uh, I got to go have lunch now. But thank you very much for joining All right. me. Nice to meet you, Matt. <laughs> sure thing. All righty. It was nice to meet you too. You guys are great. Bye bye. Bye guys. Take care. Bye. So there you have it. I can't say it enough. Check out Thin Lear. Check out Wooden Cave. If you like the kind of music I do as Niagara Moon, you're going to love what Matt's got going on. I'm a fan, and I'm a big fan of Death of a Ladies Man. Ooh, I could I could have talked about it for another couple hours, really. Um, that's going to do it for this week. And uh, if you really like the podcast, you want to tell the world about it, it really helps us, gives us a boost if you write a review or leave a rating on iTunes or uh, whichever other platform you like if there's a if there's a place to do it you know I hope that's helpful I don't I don't, uh, don't want to confuse you too much anyway thank you <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the whole episode come back next week and hear us talk about Fleet Fox's helplessness blues bye bye <laughs>